This is the Home Health Revealed podcast. Hear stories from real industry leaders discussing topics affecting the ever-changing home health industry. Welcome to Home Health Revealed podcast. I'm your host, Mike Greenlee, and I've got my co-host here, Hannah Vale. Hannah, what's happening? Hey, everybody. Not much. How are you, Mike? Hey, I'm pretty pumped. You know, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. I know it. You know what happened to me during that? No, I don't. We had really great food because I show up to the Super Bowl actually for halftime in the food. And then I did the dishes and flooded my kitchen with my dishwasher and had to get a new dishwasher. So I spent the second half of the game cleaning my kitchen floor. And then I so I got a new dishwasher for Valentine's Day. It was very romantic. Where did you get it from? I don't know where Jeff got it. What kind did you get? I don't know. One that washes dishes. Is it a smart one? You know, we got everything in our house is smart. We never use any of the smart features. What is what would be smart about a dishwasher? Tell me so I know if I have a smart one or not. You can control it from your phone. Oh, no. Heck no. Mm-mm. I push the button and walk away. No, no need for that. But that that sounds mm, that sounds next level. Well, but I got a new dishwasher and it washes the dishes. But I am glad the Chiefs won. I am too. I'm pretty pumped. It was a good game too. Like it wasn't just. Yeah, it was a good game. <laughs> from the kitchen floor <laughs> as you were mopping. <laughs> Well, hey, this uh, podcast is brought to you by Health Rep Partners. Grow and scale your agency and expand your mission with High Powered Revenue Cycle Management Partner, powered by Velocity, the most advanced coding and billing software in the market for transparency, analytics, and clinical intelligence. So, Hannah, we have a fantastic speaker today. Yes, we do. And we actually spoke with her 20 minutes before this call. And I'm telling you, I, I, I love what she stands for. Uh, She's got a great personality, and I think this podcast is going to be just awesome. Same. She literally had me in tears. So, I mean, the story that she shows is amazing. Um, And she and I met in person at the Ohio Council for Home Health and Hospice annual conference last year. And I could just tell right away that she was a really dynamic person and just had so much to offer for the industry. So, uh, Lisa Von Lemden, she is on our show today. She has been working with home health and community-based services since 2004. She started her career as a community education liaison and has watched the industry transform itself by the way of acuity levels, tech innovations, and most recently, a shift towards the demand of home care agencies to negotiate payment models that allow them to sustain and continue providing care to the most frail, sick, and disabled After purchasing her agency in 2014, while she was pregnant with her one and only son, Bradley, I'm guessing he is just very loved, uh, Lisa discovered firsthand the operational barriers agencies face on a daily basis. Issues at that time had more to do with keeping clinicians busy, keeping referral sources happy, and showcasing how positions in home health care offer flexibility and autonomy. Today, and through the changes that she's seen, Today, the obstacles around finding and retaining the appropriate employees have taken center stage along with rates and access. As the chair of the Ohio Council for Home Health Care and Hospice, Lisa spends a large amount of her time advocating for rate change, better care delivery models, and greater access for Ohio-based patients and the agencies that serve them. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you. And thank you for your kind words. I feel like I have a lot to live up to today. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got a lot on your plate. I do. I do. But, you know, I'm, I I wake up every day with a smile on my face because I truly do love what I do. 
I mean, I, I suppose that's why I've been in this industry for almost 20 years. Yeah. You know, we always talk about internally, we always talk about mission versus job because I always tell everybody that, Hey, if you, if you got to go to a job, then, you know, you, you just go into a job and no matter how much money you make, you, you get bored with that. Right. Or you get tired of it. Cause we always like new things. And so uh, in, internal, we have everyone build a mission. Like what is your mission? Because with a mission versus a job, you, you wake up and, and you've got purpose. Completely well, agree with that. And I, I want to talk for just a second about OCHCH um, and what they do because they're very mission oriented and they're very involved in the industry. They're actually one of the leading voices, I would say, in advancing industry standards and providing home and community based organizations with advocacy, with education, with other regulatory support that they need to help ensure that the individuals and ultimately these organizations, right, um, are supported, but that then the patients receive the highest level of dignity and care and respect. So I just have so many good things and so much respect for what OCHCH stands for and the part that you play in that. Well, thank you. Um, you know, the, the association has been around for quite some time, um, but I, I really think in the last couple of years, uh, leadership at the association has, has really placed more of a focus on, on the pillars that we provide our, our member agencies. And those four pillars being provider support, community connections, education, and then our advocacy. And we've really ramped up our advocacy over the last several years because, you know, we're, we're looking at the Ohio Medicaid models and, and the pay rates. And having not really seen a massive change with the exception of the 6.1% that we received in the last budget cycle, um, prior to that, we hadn't received a raise since 1998. You know, so when I look at what nurses were making in 1998 as compared to what nurses were making, let's just say even in 2019, and then add a worldwide pandemic into that, um, you know, the, the, the rates just do not align. And my fear truly in all of that is, that we're going to continue to see agencies exit the Medicaid market, which we have definitely seen over the last two, three, four years. Um, and, and that's leaving Ohioans without access to care. So, you know, Joe and the team at the council, I think they've really put together a dynamic team that is pushing forward with, you know, advocacy, lobbying, testifying, and really being able to get our message out there. Um, we are one of the more cost-effective levels of care and also where patients most want to be. So to me, this is, this is, this is a no brainer, you know, I mean, this is, I, I love doing it, but it's, it's because it, it doesn't take practice or I'm not trying to figure out what I'm going to say. I can speak from the heart because I've watched this thing happen over the last 20 years. So I'm thrilled and proud to be the, uh, the chair. And I think you're going to see some big things here over the course of the next year and two. I, I don't doubt it. Uh, we're going to see some big things. But what I wanted to do before we get too far into that, I want you to get the chance to tell the audience about your experience in the post-acute care space and then how you're using your experience at OCHCH. Okay. Well, um, I started in the industry actually back in 2004. And truth be told, um, I really wanted to be a pharmaceutical sales rep. That, that was the, uh, the profession of choice back in, in the early 2000s. Um, so I was following the, the direction of one of my recruiters and they had told me, go out and get some sales experience. So after selling copiers for a couple of years and really learning how to sell, and by the way, that is no joke. When they tell you, you will become the best salesperson by selling copiers, true story. Um, 
but you know, the, the next, the next career then was you should really find something in healthcare because that, that will be able to put us in a position to really place you with one of the big boys. So I answered an ad to this little company called infinity home health services to be a community education liaison. I had no idea what it was or what they did, but it had health in the name and they were looking for a salesperson. So I applied and I got the job. And um, the hilarity is, is probably about two weeks into my career there. All of these nurses are sitting around the conference table. They're, you know, they're orienting me to what home and community-based services are, difference between passport waiver, you know, and Medicare skilled care. And they were talking about PT and OT. And again, I'm completely green, right? I have, I have a degree from Bowling Green um, in communications. And everybody's talking PTOT and finally I kind of raised my hand and I'm like, hi, I don't want to work part-time or overtime. I would just like to work 40 hours. I thought that's all I signed up for. So all of these nurses are looking at me like, wow, good job. We hired a complete moron. That's, that's a good um, story. But, you know, <laughs> thank you. But yeah, you know, that moron actually took that company from an average daily census of around 60 um, up to at our highest, I think we had gotten up to around 600 back in like 2008 and nine. Um, and, and, you know, I, I really, I absolutely loved what I did. I loved the opportunity that I had with them. But um, as the story goes, you know, I was looking at bigger things. And one of the guys in the industry sought me out and said, hey, you know, we want to get home health up and operating in Northeast Ohio, but then we want to run the 71 corridor. So, you know, you, you know, by the end of 2012, if you could have home health open in Cincinnati and Columbus, um, we'll do big things together in 2013. So, you know, I put my head down and we did just that. Um, at the time, I was working with an operator by the name of Kelly. And, you know, we, we lived out of our cars together on 71. It was fast and serious, but we were having a phenomenal time and we loved what we did. Going back to that whole I really haven't worked a day in my life because we enjoyed building teams. We enjoyed providing services, you know, to, to our folks in the home environment. Um, so towards the end of 2013, when Medicare Advantage was really taking center stage, and, you know, for those of you who've been in the industry that long, you know that you went from probably being primarily traditional episodic Medicare to then having to figure out how to bill Aetna and Anthem and some of these other larger plans on a per visit basis. And you went from having pretty uh, standard cash flow expectations with Medicare to, you know, receivables that could be, you know, out there for 120 to 180 days, right? Um, so the, the owner came to me and said, you know, Lisa, that the home health side of this is, is just not working the, the way we had hoped. And I think at the time we were probably fairly cash hungry, right? Um, so he was like, we're going to go ahead and place all of our focus on hospice. We're going to keep you on as, as the vice president of business development, but we'll go ahead and, and just work on the hospice side of this. Well, at the time I was, um, you know, maybe six or eight weeks pregnant. Um, and I like to tell people that uh, no wonder that I was having a boy because I think he gave me the uh, cojones to do this. But I was like, <laughs> OK, well, if you're just going to shut it down, I'll buy it. <laughs> And he was like, you're crazy. With what? And I was like, I don't know, Dan. I got a dollar. A dollar and a dream. And um, and he took me up on it, actually. Um, so uh, the deal was, is I, I knew of uh, a family down in the uh, Cincinnati and Columbus markets that were interested in getting into the home health space. 
So I arranged a deal to help him sell um, the, the numbers in Cincinnati and Columbus. And, um, and, and then I bought the company. So we had two branches running off of a Canton operation. So we, we uh, did away with the branch in Bridgeport, did away with the branch in Cleveland, and then we moved the Canton number up to Cuyahoga County, which was my backyard. And, you know, uh, January the 1st of 2014, I became the, the proud owner of Ideal Home Healthcare with about 20 employees and maybe an average daily census of like right around, I would say, 120. Um, and some outstanding revenue that I was highly motivated to collect within that one year of timely filing um, because that became my operating capital. I was actually born and raised in a farm town on the west side of the state. So, you know, my father was blue collar farmer. My mother was stay at home. It's not like I had a big pile of cash sitting behind me. Um, looking back at this, this might have been slightly irresponsible, but we did it. And uh, six months later, Bradley was born. Five days into his life, he had a crib in the middle of the office, and we brought him in, and we just, you know, put our heads down and, and just kept grinding. Um, and and it 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 was it was a really good run, you know. Um, so. We did, we did fairly well, I would say, from the time I bought the organization from a cash flow standpoint up until ICD-9 went to ICD-10. And again, to anybody in the audience that remembers that debacle, um, you know, Medicare put a lot of work into having us trained and ready to go. Uh, the issue was, is I don't think there, there was an answer for our patients that were opened up prior to October the 1st. So when Medicare started pulling wraps back for the patients prior to October the 1st, they, they, they weren't set up to pay the finals on those. And we hit a massive cash crunch at Ideal. Um, so I was able to kind of speculate and look down at where our cash flow was and um, make the determination that if, if something didn't happen quickly, likely I was not going to be able to make payroll on Black Friday of 2015. Um, and again, I didn't have a bank behind me. You know, so I wasn't going to be able to get a loan that quickly. Um, so I knew that my father, having sold our family's farm after my grandfather died, did have access to liquid cash. Um, so called him up, told him what was happening, explained my situation. And by the way, I mean, I was a daddy's girl and he was probably one of my biggest fans. Um, we had a really... I'm not going to say unique father-daughter relationship um, because I think there are a lot of relationships like that. But I mean, he was my man. Yeah. And um, so we, he said he would help me out. Um, it was, it was a pretty large amount of money. And um, we went home the weekend before Thanksgiving so that I could get the money and get it in the bank account. And, you know, I, I, the story used to be, and I think every year that goes by, it, it gets a little easier for me to tell because it, it used to be a set of circumstances where I could hardly make it through it. But we had an amazing weekend and we did all kinds of, um, I'll say Fort Jennings back home types of things. You know, we went to a grain elevator so that my son could pick out chocolates. We went to the Delphus Eagles so that my dad could parade myself and Bradley around, you know, to all of his, his buddies. Um, and there was an Ohio State game that night and we actually ended up getting beat. Um, I think it was by Penn State, if I recall correctly. But all of his veteran buddies were over at the house telling me what I need to do to be able to serve veterans in the home. I mean, it was just a really great weekend. So on Sunday afternoon, he gave me a check, and um, I you know, told him I loved him. We all got in the car, and I said to my husband, I said, he looks great. And um, literally 
72 hours later, I got a call from my mom that he had had a massive heart attack and died. But, you know, it took me about a year to come to the conclusion that um, I, I didn't kill him with stress. <laughs> I actually think that I allowed him to give me his last gift. And, and then in the process, the other gift that he gave me was my mom. Um, she ended up moving in with us. And anybody that, that knows my mother and that has worked in any of the organizations that I've worked with since is, you know, Mary is mom to all of us. Um, and I thought I was taking care of her, but in all actuality, she was taking care of me. But she also gave my family the opportunity to really allow me to focus on my work and focus on being able to affect lives, um, whether it was my own employees or our patients. And um, as the story goes, I ended up looking at the trajectory of where the changes in Medicare were coming and, and looking at how Medicare Advantage was really coming in, you know, large and in charge. And looking at the fact that I was... Um, I made maybe a bit of an irresponsible decision by buying a company without having solidified, you know, a, a rainy day fund, so to speak. Um, so I started to kind of look at what was probably going to be the most right thing to do for my employees and my patients. Um, so I started to look at, at a sale. And my goal was to get that done before RCD hit the state of Ohio, um, which was September 30th of 2019, but then also make sure that I got it done before we moved to the payer model PDGM, which would have been January 1st of 2020. Yeah. Um, so I, I ended up selling my company to the Visiting Nurse Association of Ohio. We merged Ideal and VNA together, and I became the president of VNAO from August of 19 through the pandemic. Um, up until May of 2022, I, I almost three years, um, and they, they were, the, the pandemic was, was tough. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, I kind of took a step back and said, well, what do I want to do with my life here? You know, my son is you know now seven going on eight. And, and I said, yeah, I think I'm just going to take a minute to maybe be a mom and redefine myself. So I resigned in May of 2022 and I've been doing some consulting and then really what I've you know taken to is my position as board chair of Ohio Council. Um, I feel a ton of responsibility um, to help us continue to really serve our agencies and, and give them the appropriate resources and hear them, right? We need to hear them. We need to hear what their needs are. We need to hear how we as an association can do better. And then we need to hear what it is we need to fight for. And, and I have had a lot of fun with that. So that's, that's my career in a nutshell. Well, we talked a little bit about that story and I, I cried the first go round. I wasn't going to cry this one, but you had me teary eyed again. That's such a good story. And I just have to think that your dad had to see your passion and your grit and really just believe in you. And I, I mean, I don't know him, but I have to think that he would be super proud. So thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, that was a great story. Really good story. Loved it. Now, Lisa, you know what my first job was? No, I do not. Ladies shoes. So at Dillard's, I used to sell ladies. Yeah. Hey, it gets better. I actually became a master shoe fitter, which means you have to take a test and you got to pass the test. The only reason why I did that 
was because they paid you $250 and I needed beer money. So I was like, <laughs> I'm in. Motivation. But what's, what's funny about the story is the very first lady that came up to me, she said that she needed a white pump. So back in the day, there used to be those Reebok pump shoes. You know, remember yes. those? So <laughs> that was seventh grade basketball too. That, that's right. So I'm in the back stock room and I'm trying to find find this shoe, right? And this gal, Dana, she comes up to me. She's like, "Hey, the customer's been out here, you know, for a while waiting on you. What what are you looking for?" And I was like, "The Reebok white pumps." She's like, "We don't sell Reebok pumps." I was like, "Well, the lady said she wanted a white pump." And she's like, "Michael, that's a that's a heel. That's a shoe." <laughs> this is a Right. And Back. I was like, oh my goodness. So I was back there for like 10 minutes and you know, you start sweating because you know, they're waiting on you and I can't find this Reebok pump and I'm, <laughs> and I'm getting lost in those mazes of shoes. Right. Cause they have them set up by heel size and color and everything back there to make it really easy. And at Dillard's you had to bring four on the floor is what they called it. Yeah. So anytime they wanted one shoe, you had to bring three others like it. Right. Um, but anyway, that, that's, that's a true story. The other good story I have, and then we'll get back to the, the podcast here about, 10 years ago, um, kind of like you, you were saying on the OTPT, I got a call saying, Hey, we want you to run our RCM division. And so I'm like, Hey, that that's great. And at the same time, I'm Googling RCM. Cause I was What's like, RCM? I, don't, I don't know what that is. And then I was like, Oh, <laughs> revenue cycle management. Oh, be darn. What is that by the way? Um, so anyway, just a couple of good stories there. So that, um, that's funny. And, and Michael, I mean, I don't know if you know this about me, um, but I am kind of the queen of shoes. It, it's bad. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a habit and, and it is almost disturbing, but Dillard is one of my favorite shoe stores yeah. and, and they know me by name when I come in. So, I mean, I, yeah, you had me at hello now. Yeah. Like, I mean, we will go offline on this. We can talk, we can talk shoes and pumps all day long. Pumps. Well, Hey, shoes make the outfit, right? Exactly. You build the outfit around the shoe, quite yeah. frankly. And I must say I was pretty good at it. <laughs> No doubt. Yeah. All right. That doesn't uh, surprise me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, all right. All right. Enough about shoes. Although I do agree with you. I like shoes too. We know within the Ohio council that you guys are, you guys have truly been a really good voice for healthcare in Ohio. What are some of the areas that you are personally passionate about when it comes to advocating for the future of home health and hospice? I'm going to start by saying rate change, rate change, rate change, but I'll tie it into why. Again, when you go back to nursing rates of 1998, I mean, by the way, like think about how much you were making in 1998 as compared to today. It, I think the average RN was making around 20-ish dollars an hour. Um, in 2019, I think that that number was probably sitting more around like, let's say, 32 to 34, depending on how long you had been licensed, we'll say. Now, Go past the pandemic and look at what nurses are making. Okay. I mean, we're, we're talking $40 is somewhat on the low end at this point, right? Especially if you do a compare point against the nursing homes and the hospitals. So when, when you look at the 56 ish dollars and change that we are getting for a skilled nursing visit here in the state of Ohio, and I think that that one's for the fully loaded first hour. I think after that, it goes down to like 50 and change, maybe 51. You you can't, it's not even about trying to subsidize the loss with another payer, which, which I believe is what we were all doing in Ohio, probably back in like 2010, 11, and 12, right? As, As the nursing rates were starting to increase, 
you know, you, you kind of had a civil responsibility to continue serving Ohio Medicaid because, you know, it, it was the right thing to do, right? These are our Ohioans. And, and you could subsidize some of those losses or break-evens with your Medicare population. But when the pendulum shifted, right, and Medicare Advantage came in and what could have been, let's say, 75% of your population was Medicare subsidizing 25% Medicaid, now your 75% is actually getting diced up between Medicare Advantage and Medicare, and it's really cutting into your profits and your cash flow. And if you weren't set up you know, to manage that, that's a whole other set of circumstances. But, you know, what's one of the first things that you're going to do? You're going to cut the least payer. Mm -hmm. So we started to see a trend. I would say back in like, um, you know, 17 maybe, because uh, the MyCare program came into Ohio as a pilot program in 2014, I believe. Yeah, 2014 or 15. And, um, and it just, you know, I think agencies started to say, we can't do this. We don't have enough Medicare dollars coming in to subsidize the loss. We've got to figure out how to manage and wrangle this Medicare Advantage payment type going to, you know, a pay-per-visit model. So we'll go ahead and start taking less and less Medicaid. Now, past the pandemic, we are actually looking at, you know, when we start speaking with um, the area agencies on aging, and then we start looking at our agencies and having them report off how many Medicaid referrals they're turning down on a monthly basis, you know, the numbers are striking. At any given time in the state of Ohio, we, we have found that there are probably about 5,000 individuals not getting care, right? So they, they may be appropriate for waiver or passport, or they may have discharged from an acute setting, but because we have a major access issue because we just simply do not have enough agencies serving Ohio Medicaid. These patients are going without care. And when I testified two years ago, I, I believe at that point I might have been in front of um, Health and Human Services. And it makes me feel bad to say this, but I had to explain to the committee that agencies are faced with making decisions. You know, okay, so I've got a Medicaid coming out with a wound back. And I've got a Medicare Advantage, we'll say, coming out that's heart failure. That Medicare Advantage heart failure patient would be the better bet from, from a profit and loss circumstance all day long. But that, that wound back doesn't stand the chance of being able to do this on its own. You know, and, and these are the types of decisions that we're asking our agencies to face on a daily basis, right? And I think hospital discharge planners are probably facing the same thing. So when I say that I am focused so greatly on rates, it has everything to do with access. Um, I believe that if we can get a rate change, we'll be able to start to help some of our agencies come back into Ohio Medicaid. As I said before, we're not looking to print cash on Ohio Medicaid. We really just are looking to, to be able to at least be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And, and allowing us to do what it is we want to do, which is take care of our most sick, frail, and elderly, you know, and, and really put the support mechanisms in place. So to me, it starts with rates. If we can, if we can make a change at that level, I believe that we can start to, you know, coach our agencies into coming back into the market and be able to show them, you know, how through either scale or some of the, the additions of technology we can make it a sustainable set of circumstances and, and complete the mission of being able to take care of our Ohioans. The Political Action Committee 
in Ohio is very active. And what I personally love about them is that they bring awareness in such a fun way. They put on a lot of events, fun events all year long. Um, They are such a voice for home care and hospice. But what are some of the top priorities? And and I know you've talked a little bit about rate change, but top uh, top priorities in regards to policy and other changes within the political realm. Um, so our PAC committee is absolutely amazing. You're 100% right, Hannah. We, uh, we, we do a, a bunch of dynamic events. Um, this year you are going to see a little bit of a different calendar, if you will, because we, we are actually really putting a ton of effort into one event, which is going to be our golf outing on um, Monday, July the 10th, I believe. I Mark play. it on your calendar. Um, I want to play. I want to play. Yeah. Oh, oh, this is such a fun outing too. I mean, it I, I've, I've been doing outings, I think, during my entire career. So when I had the opportunity to be able to push the dollars towards our pack, I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's Monday, July the 10th, uh, shotgun start at Red Tail Golf Club in Avon, Ohio. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, Can we come? We're inviting ourselves. Yes. Is that rude? No, we're invited, right? No. Okay. Everybody's invited. I mean, so sign up, like reach out to me. We'd love to have you. I don't golf, but I'm happy to drive a golf cart. You don't have to golf. Michael golf. a great time with with a a lot of great people, um, you know, getting together and understanding that it is a charity event, right? And I always say there's there's no secret about it. So when people look at the cost, they're like, whoa, that's a lot. And I'm like, I know, but it's a charity event. You're going to have a great time. And, you know, the, the funds are going to support our PAC, which is a really big deal. I mean, our PAC is doing a lot as far as like policies and whatnot go. We had the pleasure of sitting down with the Department of Aging yesterday. And um, there were four of us owner operators, so to speak, and then Joe. And, you know, we sat and we had a really thoughtful conversation about what are the nuances, the non-compensable nuances that the Department of Medicaid and the Department of Aging require us as agencies to do as far as, you know, training and upkeep goes that we're not being reimbursed for. And, and why isn't there parity amongst all divisions? So, you know, we are looking at trying to work through that. And, you know, we want to train our employees. There, 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 there's nothing more impactful, in my opinion, than having that one-on-one time with a new employee to really be able to explain the agency to them, explain the responsibilities, but also get a gut feeling on who this person is because mm-hmm. we are sending them into someone's private home. They're not stomping the floors at the hospital or the nursing home. You're, you're sending this person into someone's private home. So that training in one-on-one time is priceless. We just want to make sure that from a regulatory standpoint, we're all on the same page. Is it eight hours? Is it 12 hours? Do we have to have the 75 hours? Do they need to be an STNA? Can they have this many years of experience? So, so we're looking at really trying to make sure that we have some, some parity, right, and commonality amongst that. Um, and then we're also looking at workforce development. You know, I mean, it's, it's no secret. Uh, access issues, you know, I, I can tie them to rates all day long, but at the end of the day, if we get a rate change, this is this is going to be great because we will be able to be competitive in the market and and really be able to you know pay our clinicians you know what what fair market value looks like based on our market analysis 
But I also think that we can yes. make a huge impact by being able to really develop some more force initiatives, um, showing clinicians what home and community-based services are. You know, I mean, g- go back to like the average 16, 17, 18-year-old person that says, I want to be a nurse. You know, not too many of them are going, I want to be a nurse in hospice. No, <laughs> they want to be um, an ICU nurse. They want to be a neonatal nurse. I mean, no, nobody's really thinking about, boy, I really want to go into a random stranger's home. But I think that's because when you look at a lot of the nursing schools and whatnot, you know, the, the, the acuity and, and, and the, the NCLEX is all really very much focused, right, on the technical skills, which is great. We need to have that. But, you know, I, I'm really advocating for um, home and community-based services being a larger part of the curriculum so that we can start to expose our nurses to a whole other field out there. And it's really a field that is emerging in a major way. You know, you're seeing hospital-at-home programs. You're seeing SNF-at-home programs. You're seeing major hospital systems developing programs around providing health in the home because that is where health is created and that is where health is handled. So to me, it's just timely that we start to look at some more force development um, programs and initiatives at the same time because I, I, they're all, it's, it's all on stage right now. I tell people all the time, home and community-based services is sitting on a stage and we've got center spotlight. So now's the time yeah. to really push it forward. I, I tell people all the time where you want me is taking care of the people that take care of the patients. Yeah. It, it, that, that, that would be my claim to fame. Well, you know, I know the council, you guys have a lot of um, educational opportunities um, from clinical skills, of course, management, and then regulatory. Can you, can you share with us as we close this out today uh, a little bit about some of the upcoming opportunities and how people can get involved? Sure. Well, first of all, I would like to announce that we, we have added a, a major new addition to the council. Um, we've hired a new education director by the name of Leanne, um, and she is an RN with over 25 years of experience in home and community-based services and um, somewhat similar to myself. She's owned agencies. She's sold agencies. She's worked for agencies. She's been in quality. She's been a consultant. And I think that she is really going to bring um, an, another level, right? Because the Ohio Council has really always been known for the strides that it's taken in education. And our education department has, has been absolutely amazing and probably one of the major of the four pillars. Um, but with, with bringing yeah. Leanne in with that level of experience, what we're expecting this year is a more thoughtful um, education rollout, more hands-on. We're really looking to blow the dust off of the, um, the aid competency program that would allow a person with absolutely no experience to become an STNA at a, at a very, very fair price point. One that the council actually is subsidizing so that our agency, you know, members can take advantage of this. We're already starting to plan for the annual conference, which will be in September of this year. And, you know, yeah, yes. yeah we're doing it again. Um, excited, you know, to, to, to look at what the themes are going to look like. But, you know, again, I, and speaking with Joe and the education committee, it does appear as though we really want to, you know, maybe get some clinical tracks in there and have maybe some more hands-on um, types of education delivery models. Um, 
But you know, I love that. Thank you. I, I, I love it too. But you know, what I would say is being that it's only halfway through February, I would love to hear from Ohio agencies what they want to see. You know, are, are, are there things that, that they identify that we could be putting into either just standard education throughout the course of the year as part of the education path or, right, as part of the annual conference? So my challenge to you all would be, you know, what, what, are, what are your burning desires to, to learn and understand more about? Because, you know, I mean, if, if we understand what it is you need obviously we stand the chance of being able to get that to you, but without knowing what our agencies are needing, you know, we we're just pulling topics out of the air, so to speak. And, and that's not to make us sound irresponsible, but that's just a bunch of board members and education committee members saying, these are the hot topics and let's go with this. But I would love to hear from the agencies directly what it is they're looking for, because I think we can put together a really comprehensive program based on the needs. Um, so those, you know, that that's the big deal in education right now. And um, as far as provider support and community resources, I know that we are looking into potentially a new AMS system that will really allow for more intercommunication amongst our agencies. Um, we want to be more dynamic in that regard. I, I think we've talked about being able to provide think tanks for primarily Medicaid owner operators, right? Like let's get them in the room so that they can talk about their issues because what our Medicaid agencies are facing are vastly different than what our Medicare agencies are facing and and then throw private duty into the mix. So, you know, being able to silo the the agencies and allow them to think tank with like-minded agencies, I think is going to be something you'll see this year as well. We just really want to put a lot more thought into how we're rolling things out Joe's done an excellent job thus far, but you know, he, he's, he's ready. He's saying, let's take it to the next level. And I think he's got a board that wants to support that. Yeah. Such a great team. I actually, Leanne and I just connected and we have a virtual coffee scheduled. So I'm getting, I'm excited to get to know her. Wonderful. She is and she's all the awesome. things that are coming out. Good. Yeah. And we'll be up there. It's an exciting time. We'll be at the conference. Good. Yeah. Well, you'll also be at the golf favorites. outing. So, I mean, that's two trips to Ohio already on the calendar, right? Yeah, that's right. And July in Northeast Ohio, the summer in Northeast Ohio. Michael, you're going to love it. Just saying. Absolutely. Um, oh, don't go in the winter. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't go in the winter, but the, the summers are amazing. So if people do want more information, can you give them like website information or contact for who to, who to contact for different facets of what we talked about today? Sure. So let's go with um, our website first www.ochch.org. Um, again, that's ochch.org. And then you can also call the office directly at 614-885-0434. Um, and I know people always think I'm crazy when I do this, but uh, I also would be happy to take any calls um, with comments and questions. And my number is 216 8136. Again, my name is Lisa. I'm the board chair and um, just want to hear from our agencies, want to know what we what we can be doing and, you know, possibly even doing better. So 
OCHCH.org, 614-885-0434, or go ahead and give me a buzz. Hey, I love the way you said www, because I did that in one of the podcasts and I got made fun of. Like, you don't need to say the (laughs) www anymore, Michael. And I was like, but I like the www. So do I. I was just waiting for the HTTP. Yeah, it just your little old school. Well, hey, I have appreciated you so much just coming on here, being so real and authentic with everybody, talking through some real issues, sharing your story. This has been such yeah, a great time. Yeah, at least time. I really enjoyed it. I, I do appreciate you taking time out of your busy day because clearly you've got a lot on your plate. You're doing a lot of great things and, and we're big supporters of organizations. Um, I, I think that's great for the industry to, to continue to provide yeah. much needed information and help these agencies succeed and providing those resources. I think it's fantastic. Uh, and we're very thankful that you joined us today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. This, you, you guys were my first podcast. Bam. Yeah. Your very first very one, first like ever? ever. Well, it, wow. Yeah. That Bobby we Bob killed it. listening to our podcast and he's going to want to come on. I, I've had a great time. This was not nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. And, and I think you guys made it no. super easy for me. So I appreciate the opportunity. I really do. Thank you.